All right, we've got a great hour of interviews for you guys here on the Young Turks. Uh, next will be uh, after this interview I'm about to do will be Joel Stein on defense of elitism. So he'll defend the elites. That'll be interesting. And then after that, presidential candidate Marianne Williamson comes in studio. Uh, she's on the war path, uh, and especially after the debates last night. So we'll hear her out. Uh, but right now, great guest for you guys. Joining me is Nick Bryant. He's BBC New York correspondent, and he was one of the first to cover the Jeffrey Epstein scandal. Nick, welcome to the Young Turks. I was my favorite Young Turk. <laughs> I didn't know you. Uh, there was others that you liked, but thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> so, Nick. Um, you were on this Epstein story before almost anybody else was. Uh, I was on this Epstein story about seven years ago. Yeah, and so what What did you see seven years ago um, that, that sparked your interest and thought that this might be a giant story? Well, I had written a book called The Franklin Scandal, a story of power brokers, child abuse and betrayal, which was about a network very much like Jeffrey Epstein's network. It pandered children to the rich and powerful, threw them around the country. Uh, there was blackmail involved, there was cover-ups involved. And the Epstein story very much fit the pattern of this other pedophile network that I'd written a book about. So I knew that I was on the right course and then I managed to acquire Jeffrey Epstein's black book. And then I knew that, uh, I, I knew that this, that. Epstein's network was very similar to the network that I had written a book about. So uh, Epstein's black book had uh, the names of very powerful people and their numbers and contact info. Um, but you know, look, uh, an average powerful rich person might have the names of a lot of other wealthy powerful people in his uh, Rolodex. Uh, what about the book made it stand out for you as problematic? Well, here's the thing, um, the house manager, uh, Alfredo Rodriguez circled the names of people who he had uh, perceived to be with taking part in Epstein's nefarious activities. And when I saw who the circled names were, I mean, I was I was quite stunned by that. And and thus far, uh, Rodriguez turned out to be a rather unsavory fellow, much like Jeffrey Epstein. Probably, definitely not as unsavory as Jeffrey Epstein, but uh, according to witness accounts, these uh, young women that have come out and talked about their perpetrators. I mean, he's been pretty much right on, right down the line. When you look at the black book and you see the circle names, so he thought they were might be material witnesses. So was Donald Trump's name circled? Yes, Donald Trump's name was circled. And I, I don't know this. That's why I'm asking. Was Bill Clinton's name circled? No, Bill Clinton's name wasn't circled, but Epstein had 22 contact numbers for Bill Clinton, so they they were probably obviously in contact with each other. He had 22 numbers for Bill Clinton. Yeah, and 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 an email, his personal email. I decided not to send Bill an email, though. I thought that he'd be he'd take it the wrong way. Yeah, well, okay, that's good of you to do that. Okay, so. Now you, you've got you had, at that time you had some really interesting material. You got your hands on this black book that only the FBI had, be, uh, uh, other than you. Uh, so I assume that everybody wanted to write about it, right? Oh my God, this is an amazing, amazing story. No, you know it's kind of interesting. I pitched the Franklin scandal in 2002, 2003 about this 
power broker pedophile network and and I also pitched the Epstein story. And editors had a tremendous amount of cognitive dissonance. Um, if they believed Nick Bryant, then um, obviously this was a horrible thing and they had to do something about it. Or if they just wrote Nick Bryant off as a conspiracy theorist, then they wouldn't have to do anything about it. And unfortunately, the media, the people in the media opted to just write me off. And actually, you know, when I was pitching Epstein, there, there were a number of uh, underage girls that were molested after I was pitching Epstein. So had the media jumped on it at that point, they could have saved a bunch of these underage girls from getting molested, but they did not. So in public uh, popular lore, there's this image uh, and, and it's perpetrated sometimes because there are these outstanding examples like the one featured in the movie Spotlight, where journalists actually go and dig and dig and uncover this thing and they're incredibly courageous. It's, and that's why we love journalism and believe in journalism. But in reality, uh, 99 out of 100 times, the editor doesn't wanna go through the hassle of being you know, sued by a wealthy person and then their job might be in jeopardy, it's hard. And then anytime you talk about child molestation, it seems conspiratorial, etc. Ooh, and so the reality is, most of the time, in my opinion, and Nick, correct me if I'm wrong, they'd rather just not do it to save the hassle rather than this like heroic fight for the truth. Well, that's the problem. Um, unfortunately, with this particular malignancy that uh, the media opted not to report, um, scores of children were destroyed, and with the Franklin scandal. Uh, it's very similar to the Epstein scandal. You've got power brokers, you've got Washington DC, you've got uh, cover up by uh, federal and state law enforcement, much like uh, with Epstein, because the feds had a list of like 35 Epstein victims. But unfortunately, the media, the American media and also America pays great lip service to children as its most valuable and precious resource, but uh, natural resource. But unfortunately, we see uh, it not only in the Epstein case and other cases, and just uh, the way that children are the fastest growing segment of the homeless population, and 20% of them live below the poverty threshold. I mean, America just really isn't willing to put its money where its mouth is concerning children, its most natural resource, its yeah. most precious natural resource. Right, and let alone the children in the cages at the border, et cetera. So, uh, let's talk about uh, the other people involved. People are always talking about hey, the famous people that, that could be involved in this uh, story. But we've already heard the big names, the Clintons, the Trumps, the Prince Andrews. Uh, are there more that we're not aware of? There are a lot more that we're not aware of. And here's the thing, and this is why I uh, opted to be on your show. Um, the Black Book, has a number of perpetrators who aren't circled. And there were other perpetrators. And right now, the FBI and the Department of Justice is covering up Epstein again. I mean, if the federal government was really gonna go after these perpetrators, they know who the procurers are, the feds know who the procurers are. They would round those women up and, and slap those women with uh, multiple child trafficking accounts and the women would be looking at three or four or 500 years in prison, and then they'd give up these rich perps. So right now, what we need is a grassroots movement to really hit the streets. And I think that the Me Too movement should be part of this. I think the Women's March should be part of this. And we need accountability 
for these young girls. We need to go after these perps. We cannot let this get covered up. And it is being covered up right now because if it wasn't being covered up, then these procurers would be in jail. They'd be be facing multiple counts of uh, child trafficking, child exploitation, and they'd be coughing up the the perps. So that's what we have to do now. That, that this is the third act. This is the beginning. Epstein killing himself was the beginning of the third act. The end of the third act is making all those people accountable that were molesting these children. So uh, if you're not clear with what Nick is saying, the, the procurers are the women who helped Jeffrey Epstein recruit the young girls uh, who he would then sexually assault. Uh, and so Nick, um, who are the prosecutors that should be pursuing this right now that people should be putting pressure on? And how do you know that they're not working behind the scenes to get the procurers? Because I've been following this story very closely and I have my sources and none of those procurers have been indicted. So I'm pretty confident about that. And it was originally the Southern District of New York, the Department of Justice um, were, were the ones that originally arrested Jeffrey Epstein. And uh, William Barr, who is our present attorney general, um, he took part in the cover up of the pedophile network that I wrote about that was operational in the in the 80s and was covered up in, in the late 80s and early 90s. So he was the William, he was the attorney general um, under Bush Sr. Uh, when this pedophile network I wrote a book about was covered up. So. William Barr has already covered up one pedophile network. And it's really incumbent upon us as just decent human beings that we do not allow him to cover up this Jeffrey Epstein pedophile network. So that's fascinating and curious about your former book as well. But in terms of Epstein and what the next steps are, um, there was apparently hidden cameras in, in the places that Epstein brought these yes. girls and, and, and famous people. Do you believe that he was taping the famous people doing these illicit acts to, so that he would have blackmail over them? I don't have any doubts about it. I mean, Jeffrey Epstein was a blackmail operation. And uh, the network that I wrote about in the Franklin scandal was also a blackmail operation. But here's the thing. Jeffrey Epstein is a lone college dropout from a blue collar family in Coney Island. He could not blackmail powerful men who have access to thugs and organized crime. He just couldn't do that. So Jeffrey Epstein had to have a very powerful organization behind him that was enabling him to blackmail these really powerful men. Hmm. Or else. These these wealthy perpetrators just would have had him eliminated. So obviously there was a very powerful network behind Jeffrey Epstein, a very powerful organization. It was powerful enough to quash a case that the feds had made. The feds, had, like I said earlier, the feds had a list of 35, 36 underage victims of Epstein's, and they completely uh, that completely just vanished that list. And uh, so so this organization that uh, is behind Jeffrey Epstein. Not only does it have the power to protect him, but it also has the power to quash uh, three dozen child trafficking. So 
dangerous charges. Well, it's uh, fascinating. Um, so Nick, last question I gotta ask, and uh, obviously I don't know, I assume you don't know for sure. But if you had to guess, uh, do you think Jeffrey Epstein committed suicide or was he killed? Well, I don't know about that, um, but I will say that in the book that I wrote, Craig Spence was the one who played the Jeffrey Epstein role. And he, and he was kind of a mysterious guy and he had lots of money, very much like Epstein, very much like Epstein, uh, from a, a blue collar uh, family in upstate New York. And uh, he kind of reinvented himself. And um, now he committed suicide. I do believe that he committed suicide, Craig Spence. Now with Epstein, there's a lot of problems there. I mean, uh, they take a cellmate out, um, the cameras aren't working. One of the guards who was looking after him wasn't even a guard. I mean, he wasn't looked at for three hours. I mean, how many coincidences does it take before someone smells something rotting? And uh, now it's entirely possible that Jeffrey Epstein was given time to kill himself. But like I said, there was a very powerful organization behind him. And that organization was going, Jeffrey Epstein had just reached a critical mass of mass media. And that organization probably made Jeffrey Epstein a deal he couldn't refuse. So Nick, the old Vito Corleone. Uh, right, of course. So, Nick, I can't help but ask one last thing. The, I, I didn't, I never got back to, and the press never really reported about the, uh, the video of the hallway. So, I had always said when you know when we heard the story that that he hung himself, I said, well, I, you know, the tapes of the hallway are going to be fairly determinative. So, are those missing? I, I, I don't know. Um, we were told that they were malfunctioning. So, um, but but here again, I mean, how many coincidences does it take for people to be uh, suspicious? There's been so much malfeasance that has gone on with Jeffrey Epstein. He has molested children for decades, for decades, and he's gotten away with it. Uh, he got away with it with the feds. He got away with it with the grand jury in uh, Florida. So ultimately, um, America isn't done with Jeffrey Epstein if we've got an ounce of sense in our heads. I mean, we have to make sure as Americans that this is pursued to the letter of the law, that Jeffrey Epstein's procurers are indicted and that they in turn ultimately name these other powerful perps. Until that happens, there is a Jeffrey Epstein cover up. This, we are living in a Jeffrey Epstein cover up right now. All right, and, and hopefully your viewers will listen to me, and they'll make a sound, some sound about it, because um, we need to get people engaged right now, and we need to have people go in mass to Washington D.C. and make sure that Jeffrey Epstein's crimes against children aren't covered up, and and also these powerful perpetrators, crimes against children aren't covered up, and that they are held accountable. That's that's what we need, that's what we really need. All right, Nick Bryant, uh, New York correspondent for the BBC. Uh, thank you for joining us, we appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, now, when we come back, uh, a
Joel Stein, written a book, In Defense of Elitism, fascinating. And after that, Marianne Williamson's in the studio, come right back. All right, uh, back on the Young Turks, uh, we got a great guest for you guys in the studio now. Uh, Joel Stein has written for Time Magazine for over 20 years. He was a columnist for Entertainment Weekly, Los Angeles Times. Uh, and now he's got a book out called In Defense of Elitism, Why I'm Better Than You and You're Better Than Someone Who Didn't Buy This Book. Okay, so Joel, yeah. uh, first off, uh, is it an actual defense of elitism? It is, I know it's, it sounds like a parody, it sounds like a joke, but it's a complete defense of intellectual elites. I think there's two kinds of elites, I wanna make that clear. In the book I call them intellectual elites and boat elites. Boat elites care about money, intellectual elites care about ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think the, the nation and really the whole Western world has turned against people with education people who know what they're doing and everyone wants to just operate from the gut. And it just makes me very scared. And I think it's what's leading us towards populism and nationalism and authoritarianism. So, you know, we might have an interesting conversation here where I disagree in part, but yeah. but overall, the part that I vehemently agree with, if you can vehemently agree with anything, um, is, so. uh, <laughs> is that, um, uh, yeah, I want smart people in charge. Uh, yeah. I don't think it's too much to ask for, I think that's, um, I don't want my leaders to be idiots, I want them to be smart. Is that, that, but apparently that's a controversial position. It is, I think people find, and this has been true for a very, very long time, long before Sarah Palin. People think the overeducated are sneaky and corrupt and just working for themselves and, and kind of immoral. And that people who operate just from their natural good sense are, are doing, are more moral and more trustworthy. And I think that's causing a lot of trouble right now. Yeah, and look, uh, you know, I don't know how. Well, I'll ask you, but yeah, my point of view, based on empirical evidence, is that the Republican leadership. Um, let me be clear: the presidents, okay, right. at that level. I don't mean Mitch McConnell versus Nancy Pelosi. McConnell, I think, is clearly smarter than any other of the Democratic leaders. He's, he's uh, very good at rules. Yes, yeah, uh, but but their pres presidential candidates, vice presidential candidates. Are dumb and dumber, uh, and they've gotten dumber Not over always. the years. We kind of got screwed, right? Like Mitt Romney's a smart guy. Whether you mm -hmm. like his policies or think he's capable of being president, John McCain was an incredible brain as far as foreign policy. And nah, so I don't even agree with that. Really, I think yeah. he, I think he understood it. You don't have to agree with him, but he definitely yeah. he knew uh, a lot about. Nah, I don't even believe that. <laughs> okay, and no, honestly, the yeah. reason I say that is, first of all, he finished like uh, bottom five uh, in his class. Uh, so not the best student in the world. Right. That doesn't mean you're not bright, nope. okay? But it's one sign, okay? Uh, Donald Trump, such a bad student, he won't release his transcripts and threatens to yeah. arrest people who will. And his SAT scores, he's very nervous about. Yeah, because he's yeah. a total blithering idiot. Yeah. Uh, and but they've, look, and and McCain once got the Shia and the Sunni mixed up, which if you're good at foreign policy, should be no issue. I think issue. he knew the difference in the no, Shia No, Lieberman and the had to walk up to him and tell him oh, the other way around. He may have been older at that point. Okay, anyways, but that's not important. Right. What's important is we thought Quayle was bad, then we got Palin. Yes. Uh, or we got Who Bush actually, it, right? George W. Bush was the dumb as a brick, right? Yeah, and the Palin really celebrated it. That yeah. was, you know, I, I, I don't know much, I operate from my gut and I promise to never be any different than you. I, I won't aspire to be any better, I won't, and it, I won't read a newspaper. So, but Joel, it's so the reason- and I, I should be a heartbeat away from the, the leader of the free yeah, world. Yeah, but Sarah Palin, honestly, I think looks like a genius compared to Donald Trump. I think Donald Trump's one of the dumbest people in the country. Yeah. And so, 
I mean, and he's a maniac. You know, he thinks wind turbines cause cancer. He thinks there's a yeah. uh, you, if you use up the energy in your life by exercising, you'll die quicker. Yep. He, he's, he's upset that when, the, when Boeing had a problem, he was upset that planes had gotten so complicated and we should go back to simpler planes that people can operate, like brave men can operate. No, no it's just, it's you know endless. what planes were like. You're my age. When we were young and you flew on a plane, the barf bag was there for a reason. We clapped. Yeah. If there was a good landing, right? Yeah, yeah, it was right. dangerous to fly a plane. Yeah, the good old days. Um, so, but the reason I bring that up is um, I think the media is at fault. Everyone I, hates the media. Uh, Even the people in the media hate the media. Well, I think the media is fault in both directions, okay? Right. Um, so, on one, they're too afraid to say things that are true. So, uh, if you want a bridge built, you should hire a really smart engineer. It's yes. not some bozo who goes, I'm gonna build it from my gut, right? Yes. If you, a brain surgeon, hopefully he's really smart and not a bozo who's like, oh, I don't know, man, I'll figure it out once I'm inside there. I love this bozo character. Okay, and, and then of course, my God, it's something as complicated as President of the United States Commander in Chief. And, and when the Republicans say, yeah, we should pick someone who operates from the gut, yeah. And doesn't have any experience. Well, I want to have is, a beer with. Yeah, yeah, and put aside political experience, but any kind of qualifications. Yes. And the media calls it even. Goes, oh yeah, yeah. It could be that you should pick someone smart or someone like who's a moron, wait, like wait, every Republican. Wait, wait, did the media not point out that this man had no experience? I mean, I, I think you talked to. No, no, but the media romanticizes Republicans. There, like uh, when uh, when George W. Bush landed on the aircraft carrier, Chris Matthews talked about how, uh, he looked, oh, that's a real man there, and he lands uh, the plane, yeah. and he's got his cowboy outfit on. Dude, it's an outfit. He's a bozo. He doesn't right. know anything. And you build up these characters. Like, oh, well, George Bush does it from the gut. What does that mean? That means he's stupid. Yeah, no, I think we're on the same page completely. This, this is what drove me crazy and made me want to write this book because I think it's happening in, in all kinds of fields. I mean, most obviously with the presidency, but I fear that we're like retreating into the dark ages and we're going to really regret it. And I thought, like, when we were growing up, I thought if there was ever a moment of nationalism in our country, and, and the whole Western world, that there would be an economic collapse or a, you know, a natural disaster or war. But this is an unforced error. And that's why I tried to write a funny book, because like, we need to step back and realize how ridiculous this is. Like, things were going pretty well, and then we decided to burn it down. Well, so the thing is, I, that's where we get into our disagreement. Okay. And, and I also want to get into some of the things you did in the book, because they're really interesting, oh, but as quickly as we can. So. Look, I believe in populism, and so I don't mean populism as in we elect dumb people. I mean populism as in, uh, in the long run, we make a lot of mistakes in the short run. Long run, the people do know better, and so the people know. Yes, hundred percent, and you'll see it in this next election. So why do I say that? Things were not going well. Uh, wages have not gone up in forty years. And so things were going well for the upper class, the boat elites, right? Yes. And so almost everybody on television. And the editors, et cetera, and a lot of the mainstream media are in the boat elites. And so for the boat elites, they're like, well, things are swell. But for 40 years, wages didn't move. So people are so mad that they wanted to throw a brick through the establishment window or through the elite window. Look, there are huge problems. The meritocracy isn't as meritocratic as it should be. It's more meritocratic than it was when we were growing up. Mm -hmm. uh, the wage inequality and income and wealth inequality are staggering in Western countries. But if you but to throw out globalism. Because things aren't quite fair enough here when we're, we're raising so many people out of starvation poverty around the globe is dangerous. Yeah, no, look, the last 200 years of human history has been amazing. Our progress has been record breaking. Years. Uh, but at the same time, 
the rules are rigged and they are rigged by the elites and they are, and for very logical reasons, it's not a conspiracy. Totally, and improve upon it and, and acknowledge those things, but to throw a brick through it when unemployment is But you is know low, why, Joel, though? Like, you know why? Because uh, no one will acknowledge it. That's why they're going and yelling at politicians that, uh, when they're talking about it. Everyone knows that wealth inequality needs no, to be fixed. No, first of all, Bernie was the guy who mainly talked about it. Yeah. And they all yelled at Bernie, oh, you radical, crazy. They're still doing it, still doing it. We're in the middle of it right now, right? And so they theoretically and generally acknowledge income right. inequality, but they don't acknowledge that, yes, the wealthy and the corporations are giving campaign contributions and independent expenditures right. to the politicians. They have bought them lock, stock, and barrel. Right. And all the elites keep lying to you every single day on television, saying, "Oh no, no, that that money doesn't affect their votes." When everyone at home is like, "Oh, you guys are goddamn liars. They're all corrupt. I can see it with my own eyes." Here, I'll give you an example. Joe Biden. We did it earlier today. Took 1.9 million dollars from the financial industry. And he did the bankruptcy bill, which greatly helped the financial industry and crushed the average right. guy. That's because he was corrupt, systemically corrupt, I think, and that's a bribe. I think when we exaggerate the corruption that exists, we play into Donald Trump's hands, right? Donald Trump says the system is totally corrupt. We live in the world of the Sopranos. Everyone's out for themselves. Pick the guy from your tribe who's gonna help you in the corrupt way. Mm. We do not have that kind of corruption in our country. We no, are not wrong. India. Totally agree. You do disagree. Not, look, you I think in a world the corruption, corruption. I think America is the most corrupt country on earth. Oh, that's insane. Okay, go okay. to. You've been okay. to corrupt countries. You know, yeah. if, if you want to not get arrested, you pay the cop. So if here, you want anything no, done, no, no, you pay no. the government. So Joe, look, uh, you want to be shut down in another country? No, no. I've seen it firsthand in Turkey. I've seen people pay the cops, yeah. etc. No, what we do is far more sophisticated. That's rookie corruption. What we do is we pay the president. Uh, the NRA. Paid him thirty million dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we bought the cop. <laughs> what a rookie you are, amateur! I bought the president. I bought the senators. The Koch brothers oh, yeah. got caught stealing from Native Americans. Uh, they were s s uh, taking extra gas from them. And what did they do? They realized, oh, I go buy politicians. They bought the senator from Nebraska. They bought the senator from Kansas named Bob Dole, and they made all their charges go away because they got political Look, influence. I'm not saying there isn't corruption. I'm not saying we couldn't do better, but to claim the whole system is corrupt. It is, it's systemically so, corrupt. Look at any list of corruption and where our country falls on those lists. No, those it's, that's total horse crap oh, because, no, because Joel, they're not taking into account the bribery that we made legal. Do you agree with me that we've legalized bribery? That you can give millions of dollars to politicians and that's perfectly legal and you know. And you know that they're they're not doing it for their health. They're not doing it for charity. They're just buying those politicians. I think old to school say blood. that our country has the kind of corruption that you experience on a daily level in so many other countries that prevents you from having any kind of safety. You know, when you build a railroad and you in India and you pay someone to put crappy stuff in your rails and that train derails in months. No, I don't think we're at that well, level. Well, how corruption. about uh, Monsanto paying uh, Trump and the Republicans and going, "Hey, you know what? Trains again, amateurs will will poison the whole country. Opioids will poison the whole country, kill 30, 40,000 people a, a year." Right. But hey, I paid off all my politicians and all those people. Uh, they let me do. They let me do drug selling. They let me do loan sharking, payday lenders, etc. Do you see what I'm saying? I totally see what you're saying. And I agree that the system can be much, much better. I think destroying it is a foolish response. No, of course I'm yeah. not looking to destroy it. I'm looking to fix it and help it. Totally. And so the way you do that is you get the money out of politics. You do public financing. We actually great. We had a good system in America from 1938 to 1978. It was actually you know it had a plenty of flaws. Right. 
But in terms of representing the average American worker, it yeah. was actually pretty good. And then we, the Supreme Court destroyed it by allowing bribery. So, so that's why I say it's a balancing act. Don't go with, hey, oh, that guy's got gut. I'm gonna prefer the stupid guy instead of 99% of the world's scientists. On the other hand, when the elites say everything is fine, I think that's what brings it to a boiling point. I don't think that the elites don't say everything's fine. The elites love complicated solutions, right? They don't think, there aren't a bunch of elites going around like there are so many people on the populist side saying we can solve the Middle East. Like we know things are complicated and they require a lot of attempts and fixes and that things can get much better. And I think things are in many ways better than when we were kids as far as the meritocracy, as far as no. who get, Look, no way. Like think about your UPenn class yeah. and who got in and how they got in compared to now. Yeah, but remember 40% of those classes now, including at Harvard, are legacy admissions. Oh Yeah, but it was it was worse when I was there. Okay. Right? <laughs> I mean, so yeah, it's look, improving, it can improve faster, I would no, like that. No, no, look, this, it's too long a conversation, we're out of time and I still gotta ask you one last question right, about please. your book. Uh, but Marianne Williams had just told me I'm going through my second puberty. I've got a lot on my head right now, so. Okay, all right, uh. she's up next, that's why Joel says that. But Look, I think that in some ways it's more of a meritocracy. In a lot of ways, it's much worse. The student loan debt—you can't, you have no freedom because you're now indentured servants, etc. But now, to your to the thing that I really want to ask you: oh, there's sorry. all these amazing things in your book, but the one that I you spent time with the Dilbert cartoonist Scott Adams, yes. who's a huge Trump fan. You talked to Tucker Carlson. Yep. You were the mayor of L.A. for a day, so love the book and it's oh it, thanks. And so. But there's one part I wanted the audience to know about. Roberts County, Texas, you went to the most Trump supporting district in the in the country. This was the county with the highest percentage of Trump voters. Yes, yeah. what did you find? Uh, I, I did, haven't spent a lot of time in rural Christian white America. So I had some prejudices going in. I, I had read Hillbilly Elegy, so I expected like an opioid addicted mama with few teeth. This was a particularly well educated county. Uh, I found the people to, I learned a lot about a better way to live from them because they are not quite as phone addicted and they have a really tight community because it's so small. And I also felt like um, I, I, I thought they could teach me how to live, but I didn't love the fact that they were voting. I, they complained that people in Washington and Austin are making laws that don't really consider them. And I think there's some truth to that for sure. Mm -hmm. But I also feel like they were passing laws that worked 30 years ago and weren't considering the global world we live in and the repercussions of taking that away that we have on, on their iPhones and their Walmarts and their day-to-day -day life. That's interesting, so my sense of the Trump voters is not that they're uh, malicious and vicious to everyone. Uh, I think that they're probably really good to people in their own community. Yes. But that they're insular, which is kind of goes to the point you're making well, about that town. I Yes, but they knew more about my life than I knew about theirs because they watch TV shows and they travel to cities, whereas I've never been to a place like that. So, right. so I felt like I was equally as insular as them. Right, but they, but I doubt, and maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> not maybe I'm wrong. I'm, I would be shocked if you hated the others, people who are not like you. But a lot of Trump voters do hate the others. That's also what I mean by insular. Yeah, I felt like they didn't hate the others on a personal level, but they didn't like change and they didn't like the loss of power that they were feeling as white Christians. Yeah, in America. because they used and to run they everything. They wanted things to stop. They wanted to right. shut things down, not deal with other countries, not have immigrants, and that's the really dangerous part of their philosophy. It is, and that's. I think you nailed it there. I think that's really an important point, which is that it's uh, they. It's not that they necessarily want to actively oppress others 
although it certainly seems that way at times, it's that they liked being on top. Yes, and, and they wanna preserve the culture that they feel like their people built. And they don't want any change, and that to me is really short-sighted and really scary and-, and Well, look, on, on the other hand, I, I get it in the sense that they they did abuse, like whether they intended to do or not, they did abuse minorities and, and, and others. Yeah. And so they abused their position of being on top. And so now they're also scared to death that it's gonna happen to them because they're doing projection. They think, well, we we lorded over them, so they'll probably do it to us. Well, I think it's even more than that. I think you don't notice you don't notice speed, you notice acceleration. And so they're not noticing that they're still in charge. They're noticing that they are in charge less than they used to be. And that's that kind of change is really, really an existential threat. And they're willing to embrace Donald Trump, who none of these people I think would have liked as a person in order to try and preserve their life. All right, Joel Stein, the book is called In Defense of Elitism. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, Uh, when we come back, Marianne Williamson in studio. We'll talk to her about her campaign. And my puberty.